earlier in this series, I reminded you of a few popular sayings that most of us are familiar with in our world today. And I want to take just a minute to uh, do that just again because it applies to what we're going to be talking about here today. Finish this saying for me. When life gives you lemons, what? Make lemonade. When the going gets tough, tough, get going. Every cloud has a silver lining. And how about this one? It's not about the cards you're dealt, but what? How you play the hand. Very good. Yeah, these are, these are sayings that, that most of us are familiar with. Maybe you've used one or a few of these at one time or another. And uh, each of these phrases, though different, means something very, very similar. Each of these sayings has to do with making the best of a bad situation. How many of y'all have ever had to do that before? Make lemonade when life gives you lemons, right? Yeah, we've all had to do that. And many of us are, are familiar with a, a number of stories. We have a number of stories of people who have had to overcome great adversity and have had to make great work out of the worst of situations. And we said earlier in this, in this study through the book of Acts, and we learn also throughout the Word of God that our God works in this way as well. We learn all throughout this book that God makes the best work out of the worst of situations. And we also have seen in this book, the book of Acts, his disciples do the exact same thing. We have seen this with the Apostle Paul, haven't we? Time and time again, Paul experienced a lot of ups and downs in ministry, but he kept the proper perspective. He knew that his life was in God's hands. And he remained faithful regardless, knowing whatever situation he found himself in, he knew God had allowed for that and that God could use that for his purposes and for his glory. That's why at times when Paul was locked up, he referred to himself as a prisoner for the Lord. Paul viewed himself as a chained ambassador for Jesus. Paul had the right perspective, and he took advantage of every opportunity. He remained faithful to the Lord, no matter the circumstances. And we're definitely going to see that this morning in our passage for today. If you have your Bibles, turn to uh, Acts 21. We're going to be looking at verses 27 through 40 this morning. But before we, we look at that passage of Scripture and, and, and before we uh, talk about Paul making good work of a bad situation, we're going to learn from this passage of Scripture that things go south for Paul, though he remained faithful to the Lord. We learn that in our passage today, in verses 27 through 40, that though Paul stayed on the hard but right way, no matter the obstacles, no matter who stood in his way, no matter the danger, he remained faithful. But we learn that things still go bad for him. Believers, do you realize that at times this happens? Though you're faithfully doing what God has called for you to do, at times your circumstances still get worse? Yeah, that happens. It happened with our Lord. It happened with his disciples. It happened with Paul, and at times it happens 
with us. We learn here in this passage, though Paul was Jewish, a friend to the Jews, and had a desire to minister to them, he is viewed by some as their enemy. That's the first point I want you to see. You didn't notice how things go south for Paul. Notice that though Paul was a friend to the Jews, he was viewed by many of them as their enemy. Look at verses 27 and 28. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him, Paul, in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Now, for those of you all who were here last week, you know, you remember from last week, we left Paul in Jerusalem. He finally makes it to the city and he brings this offering with them to the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. And he also brings a handful of Gentile believers with him as well from these churches who have given out of their poverty to support the Jewish believers in Jerusalem. And the reason Paul does this is, one, to provide aid for these Jewish Christians during their time of need, but he also does it so they'll see these Gentiles coming in from all over the known world in here to bring this uh, offering to them in Jerusalem so that the bond would be strengthened between the Jewish believers in Jerusalem and the Jewish and Gentile believers all over the world. But when Paul arrives with this offering and with these Gentile believers, and he tells James and the other elders in the church about the great work that God had been doing through him and through others amongst the Gentiles, we're told that they rejoiced because of that, but then they move immediately to addressing an issue that many of the Jewish Christians had with Paul's ministry to the Gentiles. I, I sort of picture them giving lip service to Paul's ministry to the Gentiles a bit and saying, hey, that's great, Paul, praise the Lord. God's doing a work amongst the Gentiles. That's great, praise the Lord for that. Now let's move on to a more important issue. And that is the issue many Jewish Christians have with you. They tell Paul, there are many Jews who have become Christians who are still zealous for the law, who have taken issue with you, Paul, and your ministry because they have heard that you're teaching all of the Jews in these Gentile areas to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to to our Jewish customs. Now, I don't think James and some of the leaders who knew Paul pretty well thought ill of Paul. They're just bringing this report to him of, of this gossip that's going around. But they do suggest to Paul to smooth things over with this group of zealous Jews to prove he's not opposed to the old Jewish customs and practices and not a dissenting voice against Moses. They encourage Paul to smooth things over by joining with four other men in the city who are taking a Nazarite vow. They basically say, hey, Paul, why don't you show the Jewish Christians that you are a friend of theirs by purifying yourself along with these other men who are taking this Nazarite vow and pay their expenses. And I read a few weeks ago that this might have been one of the requirements of coming in on the end of a, a Nazarite 
vow to pay the expenses of the others who had taken the entire vow. If they did this, they could join in on the end and complete the vow. James and the others, they say, Paul, do this and show these other Jewish Christians that what they think about you and what they are saying about you is not true. And we learned last week that Paul does it, doesn't he? He takes the vow. He humbles himself and and he does it. He makes a compromise here. Now, we talked about last week, he didn't make a moral compromise. He didn't make a gospel compromise. This is just another example of Paul becoming all things to all men without moral compromise for the sake of ministry and for the sake here of, of unity. Paul shows here he wasn't opposed to Moses he wasn't an enemy of his he didn't despise the Jewish people and their customs and their practices those statements made about Paul were not true at all and he proves this by his actions look at it Acts 21 26 Luke tells us Paul took these men and purified himself along with them and paid their expenses so that they could complete their vows so Paul did it Yet, though Paul does all of this, he goes out of his way to show he's a friend to the Jews. Other Jews, we learn, still demonize him. We see that here in our passage for today in Acts 21, 27 through 28. They still accuse him of being an enemy. Now, I want you to notice here, these are not the Jewish believers in the church in Jerusalem that do this, but we learn there's another group of Jews in this story from Asia who are doing this, who are speaking ill of Paul. And they're from Asia. They're in town because of Pentecost. Remember, Paul wanted to be in town by Pentecost. So all these Jews are in town, and some are from Asia, and they recognize Paul, probably because he had just got done doing ministry there, right? In Ephesus. So they, they, they recognize Paul, and they, they see him in the temple. Paul is completing this purification ritual and when they see him they accuse him of being an enemy of the law an enemy of God's people an enemy of the temple and ultimately God's enemy again no notice though Paul is going out of his way to prove that he is a friend to the Jews he is being accused by the Jews of being their enemy folks at times this happens we see this happen in our world today Though there are some in our world who are standing firm for the truth found in God's word, and though they're faithfully sharing God's gospel with others out of a love for God and a desire to do his will and out of a desire to see people turn from their sin and trust in Christ alone for salvation, they, in return, are being demonized by the unbelieving world. Some of the harshest comments that I hear on TV and in magazines and by people today are reserved for the most faithful of Christians. Have you noticed that? It's happening today. It's happened throughout Christian history, and it's happening here with Paul. Notice what else happens to him. We learn here in this passage that though Paul went to Jerusalem to bring unity to the Jews and the Gentiles, he is opposed by the Jews in Jerusalem because of his association with the Gentiles. That's point number two. Look at verses 27 and 28 again. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia 
seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. Now, over the past several weeks, we've been talking about the fact that Paul has his sights set on Jerusalem. That's where he is headed. And the reason he is going there, once again, is to bring relief for the Jews and to uh, bring about a greater unity between the Jews in Jerusalem and the Jews and Gentiles all over the known world. And with that in mind, think about the irony of this situation. Though Paul traveled to Jerusalem for the purpose of unifying Jews and Gentiles, he is rejected by the Jews in Jerusalem because of his association with the Gentiles. Though he is faithfully doing what God has called for him to do and pursuing what God wants him to pursue, which is unity between his people and in his churches, Paul is persecuted. And again, we're reminded... Once again here, at times, though we are faithfully doing what God has called for us to do, our situations do not get better, folks. Don't believe anyone who tells you that it does all the time. Because at times, it doesn't. At times, our situation gets much, much worse. Notice what else. We learn here, though Paul was a champion for truth, he was arrested on a lie. That's the next point. Look at verses 29 through 30. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him, with Paul, in the city. And they supposed, underline that word supposed, that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. I said earlier that I believe these Jews... Uh, from Asia were from the area of Ephesus. And one of the reasons why is because they recognized Paul right off the bat. They knew he had been through this area. And another reason I believe they are from Ephesus is because they spot this certain Gentile with Paul named Trophimus, who was from Ephesus. Paul had other Gentiles with him, but they recognized Trophimus. Now, notice they just saw Trophimus with Paul in the city. But Luke says they supposed Paul had brought him into the temple. Now, there were certain areas of the temple at this time where the Gentiles could go, but there were certain areas that were restricted. Only They were, they were for only the Jews, and, and the Gentiles were not allowed to go into certain areas. And the Jewish law at this time said that if a Gentile passed beyond a certain point, a non-Jewish person passed beyond a certain point, he would be killed. Luke says they supposed that Paul had brought Trophimus into this restricted part of the temple. But we know he didn't. I mean, think about it. Paul was very, very careful not to violate Jewish laws so that he would not burn bridges with them. I mean, he took a Nazarite vow to smooth things over with the Jewish Christians. In Acts 16, we're told he circumcised Timothy, who was half Jewish, so there would be no barriers for Timothy when he's doing ministry to the Jews. 
So are you telling me then that Paul would then violate a law that would potentially burn bridges forever between he and the non-believing Jews and also create a greater division between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians? Of course not. I mean, he traveled all the way to Jerusalem to do the exact opposite, did he not? And do you think that Paul would put Trophimus in harm's way for no good reason? Of course not. Paul hadn't done anything wrong. And I believe these Jews from Asia knew it. You know why? They don't go after Trophimus. Normally, they would go after the Gentile who violated their law, but they don't. Who do they go after? They go after Paul, right? They want to arrest him. They want to hurt him. This great champion for the truth who traveled all over everywhere preaching God's truth and pleading with the Jews that Jesus is the promised Messiah from their scriptures, he was arrested on a lie, on a trumped-up charge. They did the same to Jesus. They did the same to Stephen. They did it to all the disciples. So we see here, Though Paul was a champion for truth, he was arrested on on a lie. Next point here. Notice also, though Paul traveled to Jerusalem for the purpose of bringing peace between the Jews and the Gentiles, he was arrested and beaten by his own people in the city. He was arrested and beaten by his own people in the city. Look at verses 30 through 32. Then all the city was stirred up. And the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And notice, we're told in verse 31, they were seeking to kill him. And we're told at the end of verse 32 that they were beating Paul. This was one angry mob, similar to the mob Paul and the other believers faced in Ephesus, right? So it seems as if this group of angry Jews from Asia brought about a similar riot in Jerusalem. And after making a false assumption that he brought Trophimus into this restricted Jewish-only area of the temple, they seized Paul, they took him out of the temple, and they shut the gates. They wanted to make sure they didn't violate any of their own laws. They didn't want to disrupt temple worship. They made sure that their T's were crossed and their I's were dotted so that they could beat Paul without violating God's law. But the ironic thing is, by doing that, they set themselves against the one true God because the guy they are seizing and beating is God's apostle. What a colossal mistake. They were zealous Jews. They thought what they were doing was right, but get this, I want you to hear this, they were wrong. I've made this point before, but I want you to get it. Listen, you can be sincerely wrong in what you believe. You know that? In our world today, there are many who say it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe it, and you're sincere about it. I've had people tell me, As long as what you believe in, you're sincere about that belief, that's right. Listen, God says that's wrong. That's wrong. You can be sincerely mistaken. You can be passionately in the wrong. They were. So so notice here, once again, though Paul remains faithful, things continue to get worse for him. The situation was bad. Though Paul faithfully followed the Lord to Jerusalem, though he went for the right reasons to provide relief 
for his brothers there and his sisters in Christ there. And though he went for the purpose of strengthening the bond between Jewish and Gentile Christians, the situation gets worse for him. He is rejected and arrested by the non-believing Jews from Asia. He is beaten and eventually he ends up in the custody of the Gentiles and in chains in Rome. But notice how Paul responds here. Notice how he makes great work of this terrible situation. Let's look at Paul's response. Number one, he accepts his situation as from God. Paul accepts his situation as from God. You know how I know that? Because of his response at the end of this chapter in his sermon in Acts chapter 22. Listen, Paul knew trouble awaited him in Jerusalem. He had a prophet of God tell him that and show him that. And and notice that things happen exactly the way God's prophet Agabus said they would. Look at verse 31. Word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. Verse 32. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. The Jews backed off. Then the tribune came up and arrested Paul and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Just like Agabus said, right? He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. It was a confused mob, just like the mob in Ephesus. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered Paul to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. So God used these Roman soldiers to save Paul. Do you see that? For the mob of the people followed, crying out, Away with him, same as they did with Jesus. So while the Jews were beating on Paul, apparently several Roman soldiers noticed the commotion. In this day, there was a a fort right next to the temple in Jerusalem. It was a Roman fort called Fort Antonia. And it had a large tower that overlooked the temple so that Roman soldiers could look down and see what was taking place in the courtyards of the temple. And they noticed this angry mob and so they, they sent word to the tribune of the cohort. A tribune was a Roman commander, and a cohort was a group of a 1,000 soldiers. So word traveled to this commander of a 1,000 Roman soldiers that all of Jerusalem was in confusion. And if you know anything about ancient Rome, one thing they hated was civil unrest. They knew to keep their power, they had to keep peace in the cities in the empire so so notice when he hears word of what's taking place he and his soldiers and centurions who were leaders of a hundred roman soldiers they came down probably from this tower that led right into the courtyard down into this mob of people and when that happened we're told that the mob stopped beating on paul they backed up and we're told that the roman soldiers arrested paul they bound him with two chains and carried him off and because the mob was a confused mob and saying conflicting things 
Luke tells us that the Roman soldiers could not effectively gather the facts about who Paul was and what he, was, what, what he had done. It was lost on them. This was a confused and mindless mob. So they took Paul away in chains. Now, I want you to notice something here that's very, very important. I know it's, it's easy to kind of get lost in the details, but I want you to get this. Notice that though... This angry mob tries to take matters into their own hands and these Roman soldiers then step in to take charge. God is the one who is ultimately at work here. Do you see that? He said through his prophet Agabus before Paul ever entered into Jerusalem that these things were going to go down exactly as they're going down here. This angry mob and these powerful, impressive Roman soldiers are doing nothing more than fulfilling the words of God's prophets letter by letter. And Paul knew it. We've said this before, but it needs to be said again and again. It's a point that's made all throughout the Word of God. Rulers and powers, political and religious leaders, fierce soldiers and angry mobs are nothing more than pawns in the plan of God. Do you know that? So true. Paul understands that. That's why he is accepting this situation as from God. He knew God was in control of the situation and just giving him another opportunity to minister, which is why he did what he did next. Look at verses 37 through 40. Notice how Paul responds. Not only does he accept his situation as from God, but he turns this negative situation into a positive opportunity. I love that. To make good work, believers, of a bad situation, you have to accept the situation as from God, knowing he is in control, so that you can then, point number two, turn the negative situation into a positive opportunity. Look at verses 37 through 40. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, May I say something to you? And he said, Do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? So, so notice here, they're getting ready to take Paul away. They had to literally carry him away to get him away from the angry mob. And they're about to take him back to the barracks. And Paul says, may I say something to you? And he says it in Greek, which is really surprising to these Roman soldiers. And the reason why is because Greek at this time was the language of the cultured. It was the language of the educated, those who had been educated outside of Jerusalem, which Paul had in Tarsus. Tarsus was a very distinguished city in this day. It was a very prosperous place. There was a great school there that ranked among the top schools in the land. Paul was very, very well educated. They were not expecting this. They thought he was a leader from Egypt. And just a little history lesson here. First century historian Josephus makes mention of this Egyptian leader that they thought Paul was. He led a revolt of thousands of Jews in Jerusalem in AD 54, which was about three years before this event here, before Paul's arrest. He also had assassins with him, and that word translated assassins can also be translated dagger men. 
these dagger men stabbed many Roman sympathizers during a mob like this one. And Josephus said that the governor of Judea at the time, Felix, we're going to talk about Felix in a couple of weeks, he dispatched troops to deal with this rebellion. Hundreds of Jews were either killed or captured, but this Egyptian leader got away. So he was not very popular by the Romans or by the Jews. So when they first saw this mob beating on Paul, they thought that's who Paul was until he spoke to them in Greek. And notice what he says to them. Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. It was a distinguished city. He says, I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. Now, I have to admit to you, if I were in this situation, I don't think I would have responded the way Paul does here. I would have probably said, I'm a Jew, I'm a citizen of Tarsus, get me out of here, right? Paul didn't say that. He wants to address this mob who wants to beat and kill him and who have been beating on him. Why? Once again, because Paul knew God had orchestrated this. And, and he knew that though his situation looked dire, he knew that God was at work and simply giving him another opportunity to minister. And he did not want to waste that opportunity. And may that be said of us as well, believers. At times, during difficult times, we have a tendency to turn inward and just focus on ourselves and our own issues. But folks, we have learned from looking at the ministry of Peter and Paul and others that there are great opportunities to minister in dark and difficult times. And I've seen it. I've seen God use many of you through tough times of pain and suffering to minister to those around you in ways none of us could. To members in your family, to non-believers in your household and, and in your life. Believers, we got to take advantage of these opportunities. Paul does here. He, he takes this negative situation and he turns it into a positive opportunity. His life had been spared and he was now under the protection of the Roman soldiers and he had an audience with this mob and Paul does not squander this opportunity. Look at verse 40. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, which was Aramaic. That was the language of the Jews in Palestine. That was the language of the Hebrews. So when he's talking to the Roman soldiers, Paul speaks in Greek. And when he addresses the crowd, he speaks in Aramaic. Paul was impressive, wasn't he? And what does he say? Well, we'll talk about that next time, all right? I don't have time to get into that today, so come back next time. We'll talk about it. But to close this out, let me say this. Once again, though we've been looking at the great example of Paul making great work of a bad situation, let me remind you once again that his example, though great, pales in comparison to our Lord's. There is no greater example for us than his 
We're told that though he was completely submissive to the will of the Father, though he was totally obedient to him, he came from heaven to earth without a second thought. He emptied himself by becoming one of us and obeyed God perfectly every second of his earthly existence. And though he came not to be served, but to serve so that we through him can be saved, though he showed great love and concern for us by condescending down to us and by becoming one of us though he did all that as we sing in here he was scorned by the ones he came to save he was rejected by his own he though innocent was found guilty and crucified with criminals yet though that's the case we learn from God's word that Christ knew all that He knew the path the Father had laid for him. And though he knew the cost, he went anyways without a second thought. Because he knew that his situation was orchestrated by the Father. That's why in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he thought about the death he was going to die, and when he thought about drinking of the cup of God's divine wrath, after saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, he then says this, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Christ clearly understood that his situation was in the Father's hands, and we're told clearly that it was in Scripture, right? Isaiah 53, we're told it was the will of the Father to crush his son. Peter says clearly in Acts chapter 2, verse 23, Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Jesus knew this. So he accepted his situation as from God. And guess what? He made great work of this terrible situation. He, though he was arrested and tried, beaten, and killed, accomplished our salvation at Calvary. And though he died on the third day, he rose again. Conquering death with his own death and resurrection so that we, through faith alone in his person and finished work alone, could be forgiven of sin and made right with God. Listen, you can benefit from this great work today if you have not that's the good news for today you can benefit from this work right here right now today if you have not by turning from your sin by forsaking your sin and by trusting in the person and work of Christ alone for your salvation you've never made this decision now's the time I don't believe anyone is here by accident God wants you to hear this message. He wants us to proclaim it, believers. And he wants those who are not trusting in it to hear it and to respond by forsaking sin and trusting in Christ. And if you have not, I pray that you would today. Let's pray.